spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. This week on Viewpoints. In Asia, they make rice beers. In the Americas, they made corn beers. In Africa, they made sorghum beers. The rich history of beer. Then... If they needed test books, if they needed children's books, if they just needed something to read to distract them while they were stuck at home, we were able to provide that service. How libraries stepped up during the pandemic. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in-depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. You take steps to stay healthy when at the pharmacy picking up vitamins or filling a prescription. May I help you? Take another healthy step right now and ask the pharmacist how Prevnar 13 can help protect you from pneumococcal pneumonia, a potentially serious bacterial lung disease. If you're 65 or older, a trip to the pharmacy is a lot more pleasant than a trip to the hospital because of pneumococcal pneumonia. Help protect yourself with the Prevnar 13 pneumococcal 13-valent conjugate vaccine, diphtheria CRM197 protein. Prevnar 13 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 13 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 13 does not protect against all strains of the disease. Stop by the pharmacy today and ask about Prevnar 13. Learn more at Prevnar13.com. Don't get Prevnar 13 if you have had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with a weakened immune system may have a lower response to the vaccine. The most commonly reported side effect was pain at the injection site. For additional common side effects and full prescribing information, please call 1-866-694-9300 or visit Prevnar13.com. Is it just us, or does it feel like lately there's a new beer festival or brewery popping up around every corner? While this year's annual Oktoberfest in Munich, Germany was canceled due to COVID, several cities and towns across the U.S. are still holding smaller celebrations filled with large lager pours and dancing. It's no surprise that the popularity of beer has increased over time. Go back four or five decades and the American brewing industry was pretty simple. There wasn't a lot of competition in the market and most beers tasted like a traditional Coors or Miller High Life. Today it's a much different landscape. There are almost 9,000 breweries across the U.S. And last year total beer sales topped $94 billion as reported by the Brewers Association. Early in the pandemic, some even tried their hand at brewing their own beer at home and dabbled in different styles like imperial stouts or hoppy India pale ales. It seems like there's an endless amount of information to learn about beer. But to be fair, it is one of the oldest drinks known to man. There was a debate among archaeologists going all the way back to the 1950s about which came first, bread or beer. And the idea was that the Neolithic Revolution, the the origins of agriculture, did humans first start to settle down and cultivate plants in order to, because they were hungry, you know, in other words, to produce agriculture for making bread to feed themselves, or for more ritual purposes, for social purposes, in 
other words, were they making beer to drink in those properties? That's Dr. Jeffrey Pilcher, a professor of history at the University of Toronto and an expert on the world history of beer. He says that this debate has recently been laid to rest with archaeologists finding evidence of beer making in the Middle East dating back 13,000 years. The interesting question is, why did people in early civilizations drink beer? Some theories point to water often being prone to bad bacteria, while beer was a safer option because of the boiling during the brewing process. Pilcher, however, says there's another missing layer to the story here. It's true that in urban societies, water was often polluted. You know, you get too many people in one place, and in fact, the water will go bad. But but I think, you know, even beyond that, the idea that they were drinking beer because for purposes of sanitation is reducing the most interesting aspects of beer, right? The sort of the mind-altering properties, the ways that it does encourage sociability. In addition to the social aspect and camaraderie in drinking beer, it also had substantial calories in comparison to water. Pilcher points to barley as the preferred grain in early brewing history. There were lots of different kinds of beer, and basically the kinds of beer there were were the availability of grains in the market. And so barley was the favored grain because it malted the best. You could get the best yield because it had the sort of collection of enzymes that produced beer most effectively. But if you didn't have a lot of barley and had, say, oats or rye or wheat or you name it, that's what people brewed with. And so, you know, the kind of regional styles that we think of today are in some ways just a product of agricultural patterns. While ingredients varied based on location and supply, the consistency and taste was different than the curated beers of today, according to Rich Higgins. Higgins is a master Cicerone a certified expert in beer who has earned the highest level of beer knowledge and expertise that a person can achieve. He's one of only 19 master Cicerones in the world. Prior to the Industrial Revolution, it was hard to make beer particularly consistent. And so beer was accepted as seasonally varying beverage, similar to the way wine is nowadays. And so it typically was dark in color. The amount of sweetness in it could be high, or it could be low, and typically if it was not very high in sweetness, it might also have a bit of sourness in it. And so nowadays, since we expect beer to be uh, you know, very consistent, not sour, not sweet, you know, with a very, again, consistent flavor profile, that is really kind of a modern concept of beer that's the result of the fact that we now have things like thermometers and microscopes, artificial refrigeration, and all this stuff makes it so that all the things that want to ferment beer can mostly be excluded from a beer. And so fermentation is part of beer, but brewers only want a specific type of fermentation to occur. Another interesting tidbit is that early beer was often consumed at room temperature because there wasn't easy access to ice. On top of that, it wasn't carbonated. It was somewhat more of a still beverage because we didn't have the ability to keep vessels, you know, airtight or gas tight. You know, there was no way to hold on to all the CO2 that was produced during the fermentation. Even as civilization progressed into modern history, brewing wasn't accessible for most to do themselves. It required land, grains, and a good amount of equipment. Interestingly, one common place across Europe that became famous for their beers was monasteries. Monasteries had the capital and stability to produce decent amounts of beer, 
sell to the populace. They typically would brew a number of different beers. One would be a very low-strength beer, maybe 2% alcohol or even lower than that. And that typically might be seen as alms for the poor. It would be offered for free to the populace. There would be a kind of a standard-strength beer that they would sell to a larger majority of the population as well as consume themselves in-house. And then they might have an 8 9 10% alcohol version that would be a very special occasion beer that they could also sell. So it was a way of keeping the monastery financially self-sufficient. So monasteries would typically have breweries to sell the beer. But moreover, it was also sort of a public service because if you just needed some beer, especially some lower alcohol beer that wouldn't dehydrate you and wouldn't give you a hangover, but also was safer to drink than the local well water, perhaps, then, you know, a monastery was a good place to go to get that. There's a lot of cultural and historic traditions surrounding beer. Even today, you can travel to Europe and visit some of these old monasteries in person. Head to Bavaria in Germany. And you can learn about an essential law that governs brewmaking in the region. We talk a lot about the Reinheitsgebot, which is now called the German Purity Law. And it uh, was, in fact, passed in 1516 down in that area. So it's been around with us for more than 500 years at this point. And it was a really early form of kind of codifying you know, the ingredients that could go into beer. And this was in part to push for quality, but it was also in part to make beer more taxable, as well as to keep wheat stocks for bakers and use barley stocks for brewers. So what this ended up doing, though, is it helped to produce beer that was more consistent in character and consistent in flavor, because it didn't have a lot of other things added to it, like fruits or spices. But this was only in Bavaria. So go to northern Germany at the time, like Prussia or Bremen, or go to uh, you know Belgium or the Netherlands. Those cultures really appreciated beer from a different angle. And so rather than having it be limited to just malt, water, hops, and yeast, you know, you could add fruits and spices without, you know, or with abandon. And frequently the beers were sour and they were often aged in wood and things like that that gave the beer a very different flavor profile. Beers come in many different styles, flavors, hues, and more. Pilcher notes that the brews of Europe were influential in the eventual global spread of beer. European beer traveled the world, particularly in the 19th and early 20th centuries, and it came about through all of the ways that people were mobile. And so it was migrants, particularly Central European migrants, who were drinking lager beers and coming to not just the United States and Canada, but also to South America, to Chile was an early beer adopter, uh, Brazil, Argentina, and other countries like that. It was through empire, and so Qingdao, the famous Chinese beer, was actually the German concession in northeastern China, where they established a brewery to feed the Germans. And India Pale Ale is the classic example of a beer that was ostensibly made for empire. And so it's the, I think, appeal of beer is kind of having a refreshing, cool taste of modernity, if you will. You often hear about the history of wine and other spirits, but beer should get more credit for its interesting history and evolution. Just take a look at the booming beer industry in the U.S. today. To learn more about the history of beer and our guests, Dr. Jeffrey Pilcher and Rich Higgins, visit ViewpointsRadio.org. For more behind the scenes, visit Viewpoints Radio on Twitter and Facebook. This segment was written and produced by Amira Zaveri. I'm Gary Price. Coming up. 
When's the last time you visited your local library when Viewpoints returns? For those who qualify for Medicare, annual enrollment begins October 15th. Walgreens makes picking a Medicare plan easier. With Walgreens Find Rx coverage, you can explore Medicare Advantage and prescription drug plans to find the right coverage for you. Compare plans online, over the phone, or in person at select Walgreens. Plus, find copays as low as $0 on Tier 1 generic drugs when you choose select plans with Walgreens as your preferred pharmacy. With Walgreens Find Rx coverage, Medicare enrollment is easier than ever. Medicare annual enrollment is October 15th through December 7th. Learn more at walgreens.com slash Medicare. That's walgreens.com slash Medicare. I'm looking forward to a play date with my granddaughter. Nana! <laughs> I can't wait to get together with my friends for a backyard barbecue. If you're 65 or older, you're starting to get back to doing things you love. Did you know even healthy adults 65 and older are at increased risk for pneumococcal pneumonia? It's a potentially serious bacterial lung disease that can disrupt your life for weeks. Help protect yourself with the Prevnar 13 pneumococcal 13 valent conjugate vaccine, diphtheria CRM197 protein. Prevnar 13 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 13 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 13 does not protect against all strains of the disease. Ask your doctor or pharmacist today about Prevnar 13. Learn more at Prevnar13.com. Don't get Prevnar 13 if you have had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with a weakened immune system may have a lower response to the vaccine. The most commonly reported side effect was pain at the injection site. For additional common side effects and full prescribing information, please call 1-866-694-9300 or visit Prevnar13.com. What do you think of when you hear the word library? Maybe it's the colorful children's section filled with picture books and tiny chairs, or the silent hum of people perusing. Whatever comes to mind, there's something comforting about a library. It's more than just a collection of books, but a community staple, a building where people can find help, learn new skills, and above all, it's free. Unfortunately, last spring, these resources came to a halt with the onset of the pandemic. Thousands of branches across the country shut their doors for many months. For the Los Angeles Public Library System, all 73 locations stayed closed for more than a year. The LAPL serves the largest and most diverse population of any U.S. public library and has more than 2.5 million cardholders. Because of its sheer size, the transition to remote operations was no easy feat. One of the biggest changes that has come out of this pandemic is that we shifted so much of our programming onto the virtual format. And so we shifted story times to be virtual, cultural programs, book talks, even crafting a lot of STEM programming onto the virtual platform. And I think it helped our community stay connected to us, and it also helped our librarians feel connected to the community and gave us a touch point during a very turbulent year when everything was changing every day. That's Joyce Cooper, the director of Branch Library Services for the Los Angeles Public Library System. In her role, she oversees about 700 LAPL employees across its 73 locations. 
She says one of the popular new additions during the pandemic was the Library to Go service. That turned out to be insanely popular with our patrons and everyone just, you know, were thirsting to have their hands on that collection again. And so, you know, we were able to kind of make our whole collection throughout all of our branches available to patrons again. And we set up an online system for people to go in and reserve the material. We did it via phone in case people didn't have access to a computer so they could call us and ask us for the material. And that way, we made sure that people, if they needed test books, if they needed children's books, if they just needed something to read to distract them while they were stuck at home, we were able to provide that service. Still today, with libraries back open, the virtual programming hasn't stopped. The upside to online is that people from anywhere in the world can join in and watch the class anytime since most of the videos get posted online after the event. The response to our virtual programming has just been incredible. And it's interesting because our IT department kind of keeps track of who logs into our Zoom programs. And we have people, you know, logging in from all over the earth, from different countries, from all over the world, people have been logging into these programs. So it's not even that we're just reaching the L.A. population. And these classes don't just cover basic topics like career help or how to file your taxes. Many libraries offer a wide variety of programs, like coding and robotics help, to sketching groups, to outreach workshops with social workers and therapists from the community. Cooper says every library's offerings are slightly different based on the area it's in. We have a Little Tokyo branch located in Little Tokyo that collects heavily in Japanese and actually has staff that speaks Japanese. In Chinatown, we do the same thing. And they have a huge, really important Chinese heritage collection. They also collect in the different dialects of Chinese and have librarians on staff that speak the language and clerical staff that speak the language. For many librarians, one of the biggest challenges is the constant drive to stay relevant. Cooper notes it's a delicate balance between the new and old. We also serve as a bridge to people that are still not quite up to speed and are on the other side of the digital divide. So being in the library, we have to kind of find the balance between both populations. We've embraced 3D printing in a lot of our branches. We have the great Octavia Lab, which is basically a maker space that has 3D printers and laser cutters and green screens and a sound booth and all of these things that people can come in and use. And then we still have, you know, the humble copy machine in all of our branches because people still sometimes just need to photocopy something and, you know, or come in and print something out. So I think we, you know, kind of try to keep our eye on the future and try to provide resources for everyone that's kind of sprinting ahead and trying to keep up with them and trying to keep up with the youth and, you know, what they're kind of into. And that's why we're on so many social media platforms. And also trying to remember that we still serve a population that isn't quite there yet, and they need our help to even just have basic Internet access. She says time and time again, libraries have been doubted and critiqued, yet they're still here today. When the Internet, you know, really came of age, people were like, well, no one's going to need libraries anymore because they'll just be able to find it themselves. When the height of 
Borders and Barnes and Noble and all of the bookstores were really like the thing. People were like, well, no one's going to go to the library anymore because there's these bookstores that have coffee shops and have this really great environment. Why would people go to the library? And then Amazon came along and, you know, yes, I will admit Amazon has, you know, kind of taken a chunk out of our business. You know, our, our circulation numbers are not as high as they used to be. But at the same time, I think libraries persist and libraries remain so important to everyone because we really are community connectors in the communities we're located at. You know, it's very rare that you can go into a public space where you don't have to purchase anything. You don't have to pay for anything. You don't have to prove. You don't have to show a credential. You don't have to anything. You know, and our libraries are a space that's open and welcome to everyone. For some, the library is a nostalgic place. It's maybe where you learn to read or first logged onto a computer or would spend many evenings doing homework. Cooper says it's a popular place for children and teenagers, as well as older adults, but capturing the people in between is difficult. With libraries, I think people go through phases. When they're kids, they come to the library because their parents bring them or their class brings them. And so for them, library is this wonderful place where they can check out books and get information. And then they kind of move into young adulthood. And through their adulthood, a lot of times people forget about us and they don't come back until they have kids of their own. And then they're like, oh, wow, this is different than what I remember. And so our challenge is to capture those adults that, you know, are kind of haven't had kids or aren't going to have kids or maybe are professionals that don't really think that the library has anything that they need. But the reality is that a library offers for free what so many adults pay for each month. People's tax dollars are already going towards this city service, so why not use it? Stop spending money on audiobook services like Audible or expensive co-op workspaces like WeWork. Instead, if you're still working from home, grab a table or a private room for free and connect to the fast Wi-Fi at the library. If you have some free time, try your hand at learning a new language or sign up for a workshop at no cost. Libraries aren't just for people who love books. It's so much more than that. We should be out there promoting our material the way that, you know, other services do. I, we don't have the budget for it necessarily, but it would be really nice to be able to have the same kind of, you know, outreach to everyone. And I want people to feel like, oh, well, they have to have, there's a certain threshold that they need to meet to be able to walk into a library. It's not that. It's, you know, we're happy to see you. And whatever your need is, we'll try to do our best to meet that. Meet you where you are. Head to your local library today and find what interests you. To learn more about our guest, Joyce Cooper, and the Los Angeles Public Library System, head to lapl.org. You can also find more information on this topic and past shows at viewpointsradio.org. For more behind the scenes, visit Viewpoints Radio on Twitter and Facebook. This segment was written and produced by Amira Zaveri. Studio production by Jason Dickey. I'm Marty Peterson. Viewpoints returns in just a moment. 
Shutdowns during the COVID-19 pandemic contributed to the U.S. plasma supply decreasing by more than 20 percent. The shortage of plasma could impact many people who rely on life-saving plasma-based therapies. Plasma is used to treat patients with serious diseases and conditions, like burn injury survivors, people with rare diseases, and people with certain types of cancer. In fact, 125,000 Americans rely on medication made from plasma. These treatments can mean the difference between life and death for people like John G. Boyle, a patient and health advocate who lives with a primary immunodeficiency disease. As someone who's received over 1,000 plasma infusions in my lifetime, your donation helps people like me live a normal life. That's why we're calling on everyday heroes to step up and donate plasma now. Visit donatingplasma.org to learn where you can donate at a center near you. That's donatingplasma.org. Welcome to Culture Crash, where we examine what's new and old in entertainment. Last month, I attended the Firefly Music Festival in Dover, Delaware, and I think I saw someone who is poised to become one of the biggest stars in the world. Dominic Fike, who blends hip-hop and rock, has seen his stock soar for a while now. He burst onto the scene in 2018 with the hit Three Nights, but it was his cover of Paul McCartney's The Kiss of Venus that really put him on the map when it was included on McCartney's album McCartney 3 Imagined last year. His casting in the upcoming second season of HBO's hit show Euphoria could just be the catalyst that pushes him firmly into the mainstream. Getting to see Fike live before that potential superstardom hits was a thrill, and he was musically very sharp. He played guitar and piano on stage, and his voice sounded great. What was also clear, though, was that he was pretty unfamiliar with playing to massive festival crowds. Fike's crowd banter between songs was rocky, and he called out his own mistakes, almost all of which would have gone over the crowd's head had he said nothing. Even more awkwardly, he had to read his own lyrics off of his phone at one point. I can forgive those little misfires for the simple fact that he's clearly attempting to make some huge career leaps, and he may have had to forego a dress rehearsal or two when he was filming Euphoria. Still, I had his set in mind when, a few hours later, the Killers went on stage to headline the night. Killers frontman Brandon Flowers is the consummate showman, and his 15 years of experience being a massive star have certainly taught him how to command a crowd. I kept thinking he could be a good tutor of sorts to younger stars like Fike, especially right now, as many of them saw their stars rise during a pandemic that prohibited them from performing live. Despite the growing pains, or perhaps because of them, Fike's set was one of the most interesting of the weekend, and I would love to see him again in a year or two after he has a bunch more live sets under his belt, because if Euphoria elevates his fame like I think it may he might just have to get more comfortable with those massive crowds. Fike's EP, Don't Forget About Me, Demos, and his debut album, What Could Possibly Go Wrong, are now streaming, and I recommend them both. I'm Evan Rook. I'm looking forward to a play date with my granddaughter. Nana! (laughs) 
I can't wait to get together with my friends for a backyard barbecue. If you're 65 or older, you're starting to get back to doing things you love. Did you know even healthy adults 65 and older are at increased risk for pneumococcal pneumonia? It's a potentially serious bacterial lung disease that can disrupt your life for weeks. Help protect yourself with the Prevnar 13 pneumococcal 13 valent conjugate vaccine, diphtheria CRM197 protein. Prevnar 13 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 13 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 13 does not protect against all strains of the disease. Ask your doctor or pharmacist today about Prevnar 13. Learn more at Prevnar13.com. Don't get Prevnar 13 if you have had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with a weakened immune system may have a lower response to the vaccine. The most commonly reported side effect was pain at the injection site. For additional common side effects and full prescribing information, please call 1-866-694-9300 or visit Prevnar13.com. That's Viewpoints for this week. Viewpoints is a production of MediaTracks Communications. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to learn more about upcoming shows. And find a library of past programs on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Plus, you'll always find previous segments and more information about our guests at viewpointsradio.org. Join us again next week for another edition of Viewpoints. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.